Uh, This morning we're continuing with our study in 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 11. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This message uh, is going to be targeted towards adults. So I want to let you know, for lack of better terms, it's PG-13. We're going to be looking at David and Bathsheba. Parents, it's totally your choice. Uh, If you'd like for your kids to be in here and hear this, I think church is a great place uh, to be able to learn about these things, but we're going to talk about it openly and honestly, so I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision. Would you stand with me? We're going to read the first five verses and then pray together. So let's stand together. Let's read the scriptures together. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11. It happened in the spring of the year at that time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rehoboth. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you've got a great plan for our lives that involves sexual integrity, walking with you in this area. And we come before you asking that you would do a great work. Jesus, you're the lion of the tribe of Judah. Nothing is too difficult for you. You've conquered sin. You've conquered the grave. So we give you our attention right now. Lord, we let the walls down. We let the barriers down. We ask that you would speak to us. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. It was October time frame. We had a pastoral getaway. Just the pastors here at RMC went to a cabin up in Breckenridge. And as we were preparing for our time together, God really put it on my heart for us to go through two chapters in a book called Clean on Sexual Integrity by Dr. Doug Weiss. And I was a little bit nervous to just breach this subject. We're great friends. We've got good communication with each other. But it was a step of faith just to, to talk about this. And I wasn't prepared at all about how God was going to use that conversation. It was our first evening as we got up uh, to the cabin. The guys had read these chapters and we began to to discuss and God really moved. And there was an openness uh, with one another and with the Lord. And we saw God strengthen us in this area of sexual integrity. So we decided to go through the whole book together. Uh, It's called Clean by Dr. Doug Weiss. And God... Every time we got together and we read this book together, we really moved. And so we've been praying for our church in this area of sexual integrity. And as you know, if you have come to RMC for a while, we go through books of the Bible. And so as we come to this story of David and Bathsheba, I want to talk to you in a little bit different tone. I want to talk to you where we live. And a lot of times in church is when it comes to sexual temptation and and sexual sin, we have a don't ask, don't tell policy. 
We're willing to talk about things like anger and greed and lying and covetousness. And we're, we're all pretty willing to admit that that's a battle. But then when it comes to this area of sexual sin, we say, no, don't ask, don't tell. And what we really believe is that God wants to do a great work in our church. In this book that Dr. Doug Weiss writes, he draws attention to the church of Thyatira. It's in Revelation chapter 3. It's the corrupt church. They're living in sexual sin. And Jesus comes to them and says, look, if you continue in sexual immorality, I'm going to put you into a sickbed. And that's exactly what sexual immorality does to the church. It puts us in a sickbed. It makes us ineffective for the things of God. But what really blew our minds was what the last thing that Jesus says to the church of Thyatira. He says, if you hold fast, I will give you power over the nations. Here's this corrupt church, this struggling church, this church that's in sexual immorality. And Jesus is saying, if you repent, and if you walk with me in this area... I will use you to impact the nations. And when it comes to sexual integrity and sexual sin, you know what's at stake? It's the influence that God would want to have in the church. How the, in, the church would be used by God to impact hearts and lives. I think we would all agree that our world and our country needs a spiritual revival. Would you agree with that? I think that what's preventing that from taking place is sexual sin inside of the church. God wants to use this church. That's his means. That's his method. But we're walking in sexual sin. As a pastoral team, we didn't really want to accept the reality of the sexual sin inside of our own church, inside of Rocky Mountain Calvary. So this is where we're headed. For this next month, I'm going to slow down and really spend time in these two chapters. Today, we're only going to cover five verses. We're going to talk about the danger of sexual sin. Then after Easter, we're going to look at hiding in sexual sin. There's something about sexual sin where we hide. David hides. He tries to cover his tracks. Then we're going to look at David's repentance and repentance from sexual sin. Then finally, the consequences of sexual sin. And the timing of how God has laid this out is perfect because As a pastoral staff, we decided on April 23rd, a month from now, to have a sexual integrity conference. We lined up the speakers. Doug Weiss, who wrote this book that I'm talking about, he's going to come Saturday morning and speak to the men. And we've never done this before, but at the same time as the men are hearing from the Lord, the women are going to be hearing from Dr. Julie Slattery. And she's wrote a book called Pulling Back the Shade. So in one part of the church, the men are meeting. In another part of the church, the women are meeting. There'll be children's ministry that's taking place. And we're asking that God would do a great work in our church. And then following that conference, we're going to have small groups going through these two books for men to go through and for women to go through. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I could read your thoughts. And you're thinking, I don't really need this. I'm walking in sexual integrity. Everything is really fine for me in in my life. And can I challenge you? If David can fall to sexual sin, do you think that we could fall to sexual sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we were to talk to David prior to this moment in his life, he would say, I don't have a problem in this area. Things are going great in this area. We are all in danger of sexual sin. If you are doing good, In this area, would you take this journey with us? 
Would you not be so confident to think, well, I could never fall in this area and say, man, I'm going to plug into these studies. I'm going to plug into this conference. More importantly, I'm going to plug in to the Lord. If you are struggling, man, perfect timing. We're going to talk openly. We're going to talk honestly. If you're in bondage, perfect timing. Let's take this journey together. We just sang that Jesus has conquered the grave, that he's conquered death. Isn't that powerful? Do you believe that about Christ? He's conquered death. He's taken the sting out of death. If he can conquer death, he can give us victory in this area of sexual integrity. But we have to answer a question as we begin. Because I think we've accepted a really low definition of sexual integrity. We really haven't defined it the way that scripture defines it. So why would we have sexual integrity? It's because of our relationship with Christ It's his power in our lives. Apart from Christ, it's not even possible. And Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, and this is what he says. He says, finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So why? God's commanded us to. This is his will for our lives. We often wonder, what's his will for our lives? This is absolutely it. And then we need to ask this question and to say, what if? What if? What if Rocky Mountain Calvary right here, this group, us, What if we chose to walk in sexual integrity? Could God use us to impact the nations? I have a hard time believing that, I'll be honest. Our little fellowship on Austin Bluffson Academy, that God could use us to impact the nations. My life, that God could use it to impact the nations. Your life, that God could use it to impact the nations. But that's what's at stake. Now what? What is sexual integrity? Some of you may think and go, you know what? As long as I'm not in bed with someone that I'm not supposed to be, then I'm walking in sexual integrity. So if you're married and you're not physically sleeping around and having sex with someone who's not your spouse, you're like, I'm good, you know? If you're single and you're like, hey, you know, we're not having sex, so we're good, I'm I'm sexually pure, how about pornography? I don't think that God accepts pornography, do you? Do you feel oneness in your relationship with Christ when you're looking at pornography? But as a church, we've accepted it. And I don't mean just our church, but the body of Christ as a whole, we've kind of just thought, well, there's going to be defeat in this area. Boys are going to be boys. Girls are going to be girls. It's going to be something that people do, but that's sexual sin. And that's the lack of sexual integrity. And God would want to shine the light of his love in that area and cause us to walk in purity in that way. It's damaging our lives. It's damaging our church. It affects our worship. It affects the overall spiritual climate of our church. If we're going out and looking at pornography and then coming back in to worship on Sunday morning, it's going to affect our time together. It's going to affect how God would want to use us. It's such an issue if we took everybody's phones from just this week of what was looked at by this church, by a body of believers, we would be shocked. 
we'd be shocked what's on these smartphones. We'd be shocked what's on our computers. If we took our Netflix accounts and it was an open book for what was being watched, we'd be blown away. In our junior high ministry, in our high school ministry, man, our kids are being beat up by this. I am so glad when I was a sixth grade boy, I was not growing up in a generation where someone handed me a phone with access to the internet and said, use it appropriately. It's like taking a sixth grader and putting him in front of an adult porn store and saying, good luck, don't go inside. There's no chance that they're going to be able to succeed at that. But yet we've handed our youth access to the internet and say, hey, I hope it works out for you. And Satan's on mission, isn't he? And he's wanting to destroy our lives. And how is he doing it? He's doing it through pornography. And I want you to know that this series and going into this conference, it's going to be a message of hope. That God can bring victory. That we can walk in his forgiveness. We can walk in his transformation in our lives. I'm going to talk about something that's never talked about in church. And that's masturbation. And so you think of this area of sexual integrity and you go, well, I'm not in bed with someone that I'm not supposed to be. But masturbation is a part of your life. And it's damaging your marriage. And you're not thinking about your wife. You're not thinking about your husband. You're a single man. You're a single woman. And it's dominating your life. And it's dominating your thoughts. And see, what we really benefited from in this book, Clean, is Dr. Doug Weiss, he didn't hold back. And he addressed these issues and he's calling believers to the standard that God would have and saying, look, your life can be free of pornography. Your life can be free of masturbation. Your life can be free of not being in relationships that you're not supposed to be in. And it's going to bring such a wonderful relationship with Christ and God to use you in a powerful way. So I believe that this is going to be a really important month in the life of our church Please be in prayer for our pastoral team and the staff. We'll be praying for you and for God's protection. And this morning, let's look at the danger of sexual sin, how David was in danger, how we're in danger, how to respond. And it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rehoboth, but David remained in Jerusalem. Kind of strange hey, the weather's good, let's go out and fight. It's the time of the spring where the kings would go and battle with one another, but that's the way they did it. It was time for war. And David now has a general. He's established. So he sends Joab and all of Israel to go out and fight this battle, but he stays in Jerusalem. It's the first time that David does this. David's a warrior, And he's the one that would be the first to go out into battle. David's now at the greatest risk of his life. The greatest risk of his life. Much more than when he faced Goliath or when Saul was trying to kill him in this moment. So for us to realize that we're in danger. Do you know that you're in danger? If David's in danger, I'm in danger. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. So the first thing is stay in the battle. If we want to walk in sexual integrity, you have to stay in the battle. What do I mean? God has called us into a spiritual battle. That we are to be concerned with those that don't know Christ as our Savior. Praying for them, reaching out to them. 
that we should be about building up and edifying believers. And it's very easy for us in our lives over time, if you've known the Lord for a while, to just get out of the battle. And maybe it's something like this. Well, I've put in my time. You know, I think I've been to church long enough. I've, I've come faithfully long enough. You know, I think I've served long enough. I've put in my time. It's time for, for somebody else to, to do it. I'm going to go ahead and opt out of the battle. Do you know that nowhere in Scripture does God call us to spiritual retirement? I've been looking for it. It's just not there, you know? It's one thing to be able to retire financially if God allows that in your life. But nowhere ever does God go, hey, you've arrived. You've got this all figured out. You don't need to grow in relationship with me anymore. You don't need to be concerned about people who are going to hell. You don't need to be concerned about other believers. You can just stay back in your palace. If you can afford to stay out of the battle, look out. If you've got people in your life that you can kind of go send to do the things that you used to have to do yourself, look out. Be careful. You're in danger. Can I speak to your heart right now? If you've been hurt and the enemy's using that in your life to cause you to say, I don't want to be in the battle. I don't want to be with believers. I don't want to reach out. Is allow the Lord to heal your heart. Because we need one another. When we're in the battle, we're with other believers. We're on mission with Jesus Christ. And that hurt comes in so easily. Believers will sin against you. You will sin against other believers. It will be difficult. But it's not near as difficult as getting isolated, like David, being all alone, and then you're very vulnerable for temptation. Can I ask you right now to commit in your heart and your life to say, you know what? Until I go home to be with the Lord, you're going to find me in the house of God, seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. You might have to wheel me in in a wheelchair, but I'm committed to Christ. And because I'm committed to Christ, I'm committed to God's people. Would you re-engage with that commitment to Christ to say, God, you called me to serve you, so I'm going to serve you. God, I want to wake up every day and serve you. God, forgive me for getting complacent. Forgive me for coming out of the battle. And we can go through the motions even. We can be in the right place, in the right location, but our heart has departed from that place of being in the battle. Stay in the battle. Make that commitment. Lord, we make that commitment to you. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. It happened one evening. We're talking about one evening. And David's life is never the same. God forgives him. God restores him. But his life is different from this point forward when he engages in sexual sin in this way. We are one decision away. One decision away. You maybe have walked with God for a long time. Like David, you have a heart after the Lord. But all of us are one decision away. It just so happened. He couldn't sleep one evening. So he goes out onto his roof and looks over and sees Bathsheba. Two weeks ago, we were in Israel with a group from our church, and they're excavating the city of David, the the city that David built in Jerusalem. They have the ruins. Isn't that cool? And they've excavated his palace and his roof. And you're standing on a deck that has some plexiglass, and you're looking down at his roof. And it was an eerie feeling to stand 
where David stood and looked over on this evening and chose to sin with Bathsheba. Here's the second thing to consider. If we're going to walk in sexual integrity, we have to be on guard. We have to. Sexual temptation and opportunity is going to come to us when we least expect it. David's not thinking he's going to be tempted. He just can't sleep. So he gets out of bed, goes out onto his deck on a nice warm evening. We also, in being on guard, need to do so at night when it comes to this area of sexual sin. If you can't sleep, don't get up at one in the morning and choose to surf the internet. Good things are not going to happen at that point. I don't know who's behind it. Ultimately, I know it's Satan. But you can be reading good, appropriate things, and they're going to throw things at you that are going to try to draw you into inappropriate sites and draw you into pornography. And it may not be full-on pornography, but it's enough to put your mind in the wrong direction with somebody who's not your spouse. No good thing is going to happen surfing the internet at one o'clock in the morning. David should have gotten some warm milk and some cookies, taken the melatonin, read his Bible, got out his harp, went back to bed. You know what I'm saying? That's what he should have done when he saw Bathsheba. And you wake up at one in the morning, your, your spouse is out of town and you've got the whole evening to yourself and it's getting late. Be careful, be on guard, be on guard. Jesus taught us this to watch. It's one of the reoccurring themes of, of Scripture, to be alert spiritually, to realize that, that we're in the battle. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch, pray, be on guard. The temptation is very real. Paul told Timothy, be watchful in all things. If you went into a, a parking lot, it's dark, it's late at night, not a good area of town, you're going to be on guard. You're going to be watching. You're going to know that danger is there. If you've walked at 16th Street Mall in downtown Denver, there's a good section of 16th Street Mall, and if you keep walking towards the Capitol, it gets so, not so good. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what time of the day, it's not so good. Go take a walk on South Nevada here in Colorado Springs. It's not so good. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be watchful. You're going to be aware. You're going, to, you're going to be mindful. And we have to be on guard. And the best place for us to be on guard is in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Another translation says, Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And when it comes to sexual sin, sexual temptation, we have to guard our heart. So what does this mean practically when it comes to sexual temptation? What are some ways that, I mean, let's talk about some real things that could help us be on guard, is we need to check our heart. We need to be in that place, like we've talked about, where, okay, I'm being tempted. I'm allowing my heart to go in the wrong direction. We need to watch our eyes, you know, where are our eyes going even when we're out in public? Are we checking people out? Are we allowing ourselves to go to that lustful place? We need to kidnap our thoughts. That's what scripture tells us. To take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thoughts are powerful. Thoughts will lead to actions and actions define our character. We need to be careful with our conversation of someone with the opposite sex. 
If you're married, you need to guard how you're sharing your heart with someone who isn't your spouse. How does adultery take place many times? Well, home is a real place where there's real struggles in real life. Like trash cans that need to be taken out and garbage disposals that break and kids that need to be raised and toilets that need to be fixed. It's real. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? It's real. And then you go to work and there's somebody of the opposite sex. It's like, oh, you're so nice. Your hair looks so nice. You know, I wish that, I wish that my husband talked to me the way that you talk to me. And maybe you're in one of those seasons with your spouse where they're telling you real things. Like sometimes you're a jerk, you know, and you're like, well, you're a jerk too, you know. It's going that direction. And then all of a sudden, this person at work, all they can do is say kind things. And they're saying, well, you know, I'm kind of struggling in my marriage, and I'm kind of struggling with my finances. And, you know, my, my dad, he's, he's passing away. And before you know it, you're starting to share issues of the heart, and you'd never admit it. No one would ever come out and say this apart from God working in their heart and life. But now you're looking forward to talking to them. And you feel more connected to them than you do to your spouse. You, f- you feel more concerned. You feel more going back and forth. But all along you're saying, well, we're just friends. We're just friends, you know. And then all of a sudden there's some physical touch. Because that's how God's designed relationships. You start sharing your heart. There's a bond. It's naturally going to lead to physical touch. And it's just a brush of the hand. They just touched your hand. They put their hand on your shoulder, but you felt it. They felt it. And before you know it, you're in bed committing adultery. You're single. You need to be careful of sharing your heart with the opposite sex. You need to understand where it's leading to. And all of a sudden, you guys now are starting to go, Eric, you are so old-fashioned. I know that you've got a haircut from the 50s, but this is too far. You know, You're telling me, that I need to be careful with my conversations of the opposite sex, absolutely. There's been so many times as a pastoral staff, we've been sitting down with people that we love from this church that have said, you know what, I'm in sexual sin, and do you know how it started? It started with a conversation where I started to share my heart. Married couples, if you have a really good friendship with another married couple, be careful. Guard your conversations even inside of that. A lot of times that friendship can lead to adultery because it wasn't guarded. Possibly bring a third couple into times when you're you're hanging out. Be on guard of those conversations. Being guard in this area, being open and honest about temptation. I think this is one of the best protections when it comes to being on guard against sexual sin. If you're being struggling in sexual temptation and you're thinking, I don't have to tell anybody because it's too shameful, there's too much guilt and condemnation that's going to take place in it, God wants to bring great freedom in your life, and I think it's appropriate for us to be talking to our spouse about these struggles. You're saying, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that. It would hurt my spouse too much. Well, it's going to hurt them a lot more when you come and say that you're in adultery. It's going to hurt a whole lot more when they get a hold of your phone and find out that you're looking at pornography all the time. It's a reoccurring thing in your life. Well, I didn't want to tell them that I was struggling. 
No, what you really didn't want is you didn't want to change. Dr. Weiss writes and says he very rarely, he's never seen a man get free from sexual sin without telling his wife. If you really want to change, you're going to tell your wife. Oh, that's hard. That's difficult. If your spouse comes to you with struggle or with sin, I know it's painful. I know it hurts. I know it's easier to not have those conversations. But take a deep breath. Let him share with you. Let him know that it hurts. And say, you know what? We need to call the church office. We need to talk this through with the pastor. But allow God to work. Allow God to do the healing. You won't experience the healing unless you're willing to have those difficult conversations. This is what I mean. So you're attracted to somebody at work of the opposite sex who isn't your spouse? Why don't you tell your spouse instead of pretending like that never happens? Say, this person is trouble for me. I need you to know I don't want it to go there. I'm guarding my eyes. I'm guarding my conversation. And as you share that with your spouse and you pray for one another, there's going to be freedom. God's going to work. Hey, you know what? We can't hang out with this person all the time because it's difficult for me. I find myself going in a direction that it shouldn't happen. That's the specifics in which I'm talking about. I know that's radical, but I think in open and honest communication about temptation, there becomes great protection. I've got to tell you also, you need to be careful of flattery. If someone's telling you that you're the best thing since sliced bread overly, you need to run for your life, right? There's another agenda that's taking place there. So we stay in the battle, we be on guard. And then continuing with verse 2, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. I don't think that Bathsheba's doing anything wrong. I don't think she put herself out there to take a bath to provide temptation to anybody else. She's just taking a bath, and David happens to, to see her. Now when Bathsheba chooses to enter into this sexual relationship, that was an opportunity for her to stand up and do the right thing. But just her taking a bath, there wasn't something wrong in her taking a bath. And David now is faced with the temptation. He's faced with a decision. Here's the third thing. Write it down. Pray it through. Is respond to nakedness in a godly manner. Respond to nakedness in a godly manner. You will be exposed to nakedness. And sometimes not by your choice. Like I didn't want to see that. Why did you have to put that on a billboard? You know? And now you're going to have to face this choice of, of how am I going to respond. And God gives us direction on this. First to understand that we're created in God's image. That this person is a person, not an object, that's created in the image of God. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Noah, much to our surprise, after this whole thing with the flood, grows some grapes, makes some wine, and what does he do? He gets really drunk. I mean, drunk to the point where he has no clothes on and is laying around. And here comes Ham. And Ham sees his dad, and he thinks, this is hilarious. Dad is so drunk that he's naked, i got to go tell the brothers. And he's hamming it up, right? So he goes, gets his two brothers, and they respond differently to dad's nakedness. They don't want to uncover dad's nakedness. They know that there's something sacred about 
this. So they choose to take a blanket, one hold one side, the other hold the other, and walk backwards so they don't see dad's nakedness, and they cover their dad's nakedness. In Leviticus chapter 18, from verse 6 all the way down to verse 18, God gives this detail of don't uncover this person's nakedness. Don't uncover that person's nakedness. It says, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. Then the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She's your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And it goes through in great detail all of these things that should be obvious that we wouldn't uncover someone's nakedness, but God's making a point of saying, how are you going to respond to nakedness? Are you going to be a person that covers or uncovers? Are you going to be a person that protects? Are you going to become a predator? Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, this is how I want you to treat women in your life. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Men, how do you treat your sister and your mom when it comes to purity? Absolute purity, and you protect them, right? I've got a younger sister. She's nine years older than me. She's been married for 10 years, has two beautiful daughters, and I told her husband, Josh, my brother-in-law, when they got married, and said, look, if you hurt my sister, you and I are going on a missions trip to Mexico. And you're not coming back. (laughs) I watched my sister grow up. I remember her as a little girl. I'll protect her. Someone messes with my sister, look out. Think about your own mom. Men, someone messes with your mom, what's your response? It's time for you to meet the 12-gauge sucker. That's a response right there. No apologies. You're not messing with mom. And then God says, this is the way that we're to view all women. You're exposed to nakedness. It's not some object for you to devour. You're to protect. You're to cover, just like you would with your mom or your sister. You see a woman that's beautiful, that's a mother in Christ. That's a sister in Christ. And women, the same for you as well when it comes to men. Protector or predator. And unfortunately, as much as we love David, at this point, he becomes a predator. Bathsheba's at a vulnerable part of her life. Her husband Uriah's away fighting David's battle. At any point, we have the opportunity to stand up and do what's right, even if it means our life. Bathsheba could have stood up and said, no, I'm not going to do this. But let's be honest. David has the position of authority. He sees an opportunity. He became the predator in this place. Men and women. This is a men and women's issue today in our culture. If you're looking at pornography, you're becoming a predator. And you're not responding to nakedness in a godly manner. And to say, okay, I'm going to start choosing to respond in a godly manner. So we go on in verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? What did Joseph do when he came on a similar opportunity? He ran for his life. He responded in a godly way. But David, instead, he inquires. You're on the roof this morning. You're being tempted. There's the opportunity. And you're choosing to send that text. You're choosing to inquire. You're choosing to see where it's going to go. You're going to contact that old friend on Facebook. 
going to flirt a little bit more with that coworker. And David inquires. And the messenger has the boldness to say, hey, David, uh, isn't this Uriah's daughter? Or Uriah's wife, excuse me, and Eliam's daughter? And when we're in that place of sexual sin, we're not thinking that this is someone's wife and this is someone's daughter. Then David sent the messenger and took her and she came to him and lay with her for she was cleansed from impurity and she returned to her house. Adultery takes place. The fourth thing to consider is place your authority under God's authority. Your authority under God's authority. The whole vibe of these two chapters, chapter 11 and 12, it seems to me that David's like, I'm king, I can get away with it. The whole essence of this is like, well, I can sin for Bathsheba and I'm the king and she's going to have to come and I'm going to get what I want. Later on in the chapter, he has Uriah killed. I'm king, I can get away with it. And when we enter into sexual sin as believers, remember we're God's child, is we've placed our authority, our lust, above God. And a protection to sexual sin is to place your authority under God's authority. And you may be saying, I don't feel like I have any authority. I'm not a king. But God has given all of us the ability to make choices, and in that's authority. We have free will. We get to choose where we go. We get to choose what we do with our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts and our hands and our feet. And to say, I'm going to take the little bit of authority that God has given to me, and I'm going to surrender it under the authority of God, and that's protection. And that's going to lead to life. Are you tired of the destruction that sexual sin has brought in your life? Make that daily choice of saying, God, I'm going to allow you to have authority in my life. If you're doing good in this area, may you never think that you're beyond the point of surrendering your authority to God's authority. This will show itself in other areas of our life as well. Like if you've never handled authority well, you look back on your life and you're like, I never got along with a teacher. I never got along with the basketball coach. I've never had a good boss. It seems like every time I just get that rotten boss, they're a magnet to me. And every police officer that's ever pulled me over has been a jerk and I've gotten an argument with. Man, there's been a problem with my teachers, my basketball coach, my boss, every police officer. No, the problem's you. Problems you. You can't handle authority in your life. You don't listen to anybody. You don't listen to your friends. You don't listen to your spouse. You don't listen at all. Well, that's going to lead to greater sin. It's a humility issue. It's a submission issue. I'm going to be a person under authority. They're not asking me to do something that's unbiblical or illegal so I can follow them. It's going to really be a blessing in our life. Choose to place yourself under God's authority. Be a man or, or woman who's under authority. In verse 5, and the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. Not the news that David expected or was wanting. Do you think that David was thinking about a child when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? Absolutely not. He was thinking about his own lust. Fifth thing to consider, and it's this. Sex always bears fruit. Sex always bears fruit fruit. How many children have come into this world where there was no thought to their being? God has given you the ability to create. Isn't that crazy? The ability to create. And if you're going to have sex, think about the life that could come from that act. And are you prepared to 
Be a parent to that child. Be a mom. Be a dad to that child. Men, if you're going to have sex with a woman, understand that there could be a child. And the best way for that child to grow up is inside of the commitment of marriage with a mom or with a dad. Ladies, if you're going to have sex with a guy, understand that could lead to a child. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not that a child is doomed if they're a result from sexual sin. I don't want you to think that. That's not biblical. They're made in God's image. It wasn't the choice of that child. And God's going to work and God's going to redeem. Maybe you're pregnant and it's been the result of a bad situation and you're contemplating getting an abortion. Can I speak to you? Man, God loves you. And if you want to raise this child as a single mom, this church is going to get behind you. It's not going to be guilt. There's not going to be shame. We'll do everything that we possibly can to get you through this season of your life. The women in this church will rally around you. If you feel like you need to consider adoption, I literally know of couples that are in my contact list on my cell phone that are in the process of trying to adopt babies and they haven't been able to do so. There's people in this church that would love to provide that for your child if you're not in a place. And that could be the most courageous decision that you make. So the child's not doomed, but fruit always comes from sex. And you're saying, well, I know how sex works. I know the birds and the bees. And not every time is there a child, but there is fruit. What do I mean? God has designed sex to where it has an effect. You can't just have sex and think it's a physical act where there's no effect. What's the effect? It's either destruction or it's edification. Now, so far in this message, it's been pretty heavy. It's been kind of a doom and gloom message. But I got to tell you, there's great edification in sex when it's used inside of marriage, between a husband and a wife, a man and woman, inside of the commitment of marriage. God came up with it. It's his design, right? David abuses it here, so he experiences the destruction. But it bears fruit. Husbands and wives, don't neglect your sexual relationship. It's important. For the health of your marriage, it's important. It's something that needs to be talked about. It shouldn't be this part of your marriage that you can't talk about. Husbands and wives, talk with one another. Allow God to work in that area of your marriage. If there's hindrances and there's areas where there needs to be healing, allow God to work. But then also understand outside of marriage, it always brings destruction. It bears fruit. So as we close, would you consider two questions with me? The first is, is where am I at with sexual sin? It's really easy to let that question go by. Are your thoughts not where they're supposed to be? Is your heart not where it's supposed to be? Has the Spirit of God been pleading with your heart and with your thoughts for a while? To kidnap those thoughts, to be honest with your heart before God and others. Are you doing good in this area? Do you ask this question and go, wow, by God's grace, he's really transformed me. There was a time in my life where it wasn't like this, but wow, I'm not perfect, but I can say that I'm walking in sexual integrity. Handle that with great humility and press in. Say, man, this conference, April 23rd, it's for me because I'm doing well. Because God's been gracious in this area.
Are you in that place of bondage and struggle? The bondage is so great, the struggle is so great that you couldn't imagine a week without sexual sin in your life. I gotta tell you, there's hope in Jesus Christ. Take this journey with us. Read ahead. Most importantly this morning, go to the Lord. If he defeated the grave, if he defeated death, he can defeat sexual sin in our lives and restore. If he told us that this is his will for our lives, then there must be a possibility. So where am I at with sexual sin? And then am I in danger? I think that some of you are on the roof, like right now, this morning. Some of you may even be at church with someone that you're not supposed to be with. You're saying, how's that? Well, you're married to somebody else and you're cuddling up with somebody in church who isn't your spouse. Right now, right here, right now. And it hasn't gone there, but it's about ready to. And the Lord's saying, get off the roof, go get some milk, some cookies, some melatonin, run, flee. Some of you are on that roof with pornography. You've got the app on your phone. You've got the site. It's in your histories of your internet searches. And all of a sudden, this morning, God's allowed you to see it a little differently. He's saying, respond to nakedness appropriately. Get off the roof. Delete those apps. For some of you, it's something you've entertained in your heart. Ladies, maybe you read novels that are sexual in nature. You think, well, it's fine. There's no pictures. But in your heart and your mind, you're going there. And you're committing adultery in your heart. You're on the roof. God's saying, get rid of those books. And even more than that, than getting rid of the books, talk to your spouse. If you're single, talk with a Christian gal in your life and say, you know what, these have been... having damage in my life. I want you to know, I want you to pray for me. James 5.16 says, confess to one another, pray for one another, and God brings healing. We confess to God, God provides the forgiveness, that's the most important. But it's also important to confess to one another. And think of this question as we close. What if? What if? Let's stop pretending Sexual sin is a reality in our church, in our church body, in our lives. And what if? What if we repent and hold fast and God would give us power over the nations? What if this next month is transformative in the life of this church? Not out of condemnation, but out of God's love for us. What if we came in here a month from now and we said, you know what, there's a different culture at Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's not don't ask, don't tell. I can come to my church family and say that I'm struggling. I can come to my church family and say that I've fallen in this area. What if we came in on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and we said there's something different happening in worship? These people are finding their identity in worship. 
These people can't wait to sing to God. God did something. He did a breakthrough. He gave us power over the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that it's out of your love that you call us to purity, that you call us to sexual integrity. We humble ourselves before you, God. There's no way that we can do this apart from you. We pray for your protection. We admit, Lord, that we're in danger. We don't think that we stand. We know that we need you. We recommit to the battle that you've called us to. We choose to respond to nakedness appropriately. God, we understand that sex bears fruit and we we want to use it in the way that you intended. Father, I pray that you would bless every marriage. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bless marriages? Would you bless future marriages? God, singles, it's so hard to be single in this culture that we live in where we're inundated with this message of sexual sin. Would you protect them? Would you, the love that they're looking for, would they find it in Jesus Christ? For broken marriages, broken relationships, God, would you bring healing? For those that are in a place where they can't even imagine that their life would be different, Jesus, we're calling upon you as there's repentance and confession that you would bring victory that could only come from you, God. We want to see what you could do in our lives, in our relationship with you. We want to see what you could do as we're surrendered to you in this area. God, I ask that you would bind Satan, just even confusion over this message. That we wouldn't resist it. That we wouldn't try to find faults with your message, God. That we would surrender to it. God, we're a mess apart from you. We're ready to do it your way, God. Set us free. Do your work, Father.